The Future of Healthcare is an online platform and community for passionate healthcare professionals. Welcome to our new podcast that gives you valuable insights into tomorrow's healthcare. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome back, everyone, to the Future of Healthcare podcast. Uh, today, we're here with Dr. Harvey, co-founder of My01. Um, thank you, doctor, for uh, joining us today. How are you? Oh, pleasure to be here. We're doing great. Uh, spring has finally come to our neck of the woods, so everyone's happier to be out and around. Yeah, that's winter. great. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we can start with our first question, uh, which is, could you uh, briefly introduce yourself and your background? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name's Ed Harvey. I'm a Canadian surgeon. I'm an orthopedic trauma surgeon. Uh, my background is fairly uh, long. I did a lot of training to get where I am. I uh, did an undergraduate degree in biophysics and did medicine, then orthopedic surgery, and then three fellowships in uh, clinical training and research. And uh, that got me to a position at McGill University, which is a large university in Canada, uh, where I'm a full professor of surgery and run a large uh, research lab with about 100 investigators, both uh, principal investigators and students uh, that is fairly active. And uh, that is where I am right now. Great, that's uh, impressive. And amongst all these things, you are also the one of the founders of Myo One, which is a company created with the goal of developing devices to measure patients' muscle pressure to aid in early detection of um, ACS, which is acute compartment syndrome. Um, could you tell us how the idea was born and what steps did you have to take to make it real? Sure, that's uh, pretty well the backstory of uh, the group of, of uh, corporate people I'm now involved with, but it started in academia. I started in at McGill University I had uh, recognized, as many surgeons do, a unmet need. So the unmet need was the ability to track uh, trauma in muscles. It's a fairly serious problem with uh, actually hundreds of thousands of people per year involved in uh, having muscle damage after trauma. And what happens is that when the muscle is damaged, uh, it swells as it inflames and it collects fluid. And the soft tissue covering over that muscle is extremely tight. And if it swells too much, that is the muscle, it uh, runs out of place to swell and therefore the blood supply to the muscle gets choked off and what happens is the muscle dies. And this can cause a lot of problems, including amputation and even death and late, and late uh, outcomes. So we had recognized, or at least I had recognized this, I'm sure many people had, that we need a better method to measure this trauma swelling. The, the, the devices that were on the market were either extremely large, cumbersome, uh, expensive, or very inaccurate, proven in peer review. So I went off to lower campus where a large university with an upper campus, which is called, called upper campus where the law school and the medical school is, and then lower campuses down below in the, in the, in the city. And that's where all the undergrad uh, degrees are, are taken and went to the engineering school and asked around to see if anyone was working on sensors. And there was one gentleman who was working on sensors and I had a conversation with him. We decided we were going to apply for grants together. And it's, so it all started as a grant, a, a very cheap grant 
for the Canadian government. It was a few hundred thousand dollars. We hired students and set about building this sensor. And uh, at the end of it, we had some intellectual property that came out of it and uh, we didn't know what to do with it. We said, okay, uh, what should we do with it? And our two of our graduate students, uh, Char um, Charles Allen and George Zeres were both said, oh, we'd like to take this commercial. I said, okay, let's do that. And so behind the driving of these two uh, really smart and motivated students uh, came my one And so uh, we spun out a company from this intellectual property, which is the way it's supposed to happen, but often doesn't uh, in academia. And uh, so for, since 2015, we've been doing this and uh, really didn't come to fruition until a couple of years ago where we really started to drive this forward. And uh, now we're, we're at this commercialization phase with a company that we're selling product in, in uh, multiple continents where we sell in Europe, we sell in Canada, we sell in the US. So it's, uh, it's been an exciting real voyage for all of us. Yeah, um, I can only imagine um, there are definitely some challenges, but also, um, you know, successes and sure. So, so uh, we hope to be around in ten years. We we probably will either us or we will license it or sell it or we haven't really looked at a final exit strategy, which I think everyone always asks, "What's your exit strategy?" And it's not really. We were we started this company to solve this clinical problem, and we'd like to solve it. And so that, part of that involves selling. So. Uh, you, you, your question was more like, what's going to happen in the next few years? Well, we're actively scaling and scaling, uh, you know, the, the kind of the analogy is it is uh, like changing the tires in your car while you're driving down the highway. Th a lot of things are happening at the same time. There's a lot of moving parts. We're moving from a small company with eight people to now we have 58 people over the last two years, right? So we've got a lot of more moving parts. We're going from everyone in the company being a journalist to hiring a lot of specialists. We're, uh, you know, we've got a lot of new branches of management coming on board, commercialization and quality control and quality management production. So uh, part of the excitement is that we are just expanding at the seams. We've moved three times in the last two years, even during COVID. Uh, it's been a real, it's a real challenge for anyone, let alone uh, a team with people who have never done this before to do it. So the education process you asked about was, uh, I'm becoming much more business oriented. The engineers are becoming much more medical oriented and we're yeah. all becoming commercialists, right? We're all selling things. So everyone's getting an education on the fly and we're trying to hire the right people. We have a, we've got a great board, which helps us in many ways, brought a lot of expertise, which we didn't have. We have a scientific advisory board, which is instrumental. All these are things that you don't think of when you're thinking, oh, I can solve this problem in the OR. And uh, yeah. it's become a, it becomes a huge process, which is really, really kind of interesting to do. How do you balance the fact that you are also a doctor and a professor, but also a owner of a company? How do you balance all those um, you know, tasks and schedules? Yeah, that's a good question. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think what most physicians don't recognize when they come up with an idea is that they have to hand off and um, or stop practicing. But I really like what I do. I'm an orthopedic trauma surgeon. I solve problems, I think, on a daily basis that make a difference in people's lives. 
Um, I don't want to give that up. I spent uh, 27 years in yeah. school training to do that. And uh, so you can't uh, do 200% jobs, right? So uh, anytime you're, anytime as a physician, you have to balance these uh, processes, even as a normal person, you have to have job, you have to have your family and you have to have your significant interest. So myo one is one of my significant interests. Now it can't overpower my family or my job. So we share the load. So uh, the same thing with uh, Charles and George are, I've, I've been instrumental. They're a genius in running the company. They do much better than I do. Um, I provide scientific advisories, some some of the gray hair stuff while they're doing more of the nuts and bolts, which uh, you can't do. And you can't do as a vision unless you quit medicine. And people don't realize that. What they do is they have an idea, they get some an idea together. You just haven't got the time to bring it to corporate. So what, what physicians do typically is they end up dumping it. Either they license it or they sell it. And they go, you know, I had a great idea and I, and I only made $400,000 from it, but it was, you know, it was a good idea. And I wish I could have made more money. Well, you can only make more money if you, if you give your time to it, right? So I think that's what other physicians don't recognize. Yeah, and I mean, do you think that although it is hard to balance everything, do you think there is still a need for doctors and physicians to create uh, more companies um, or products just because they have firsthand experience um, in the field? Yeah, I think that's a great observation. I think, and it's not new, but it's happened. It happens all the time. People can, because you're in the field, you recognize what the shortcomings are. And if that shortcoming is a product, which it normally is, there's multiple different kinds of innovation. You know, there's, you can work on profit model or how to network, how to structure your company, how to finance it, how to, pro, how to, how to assist them to bring it to market. There's all kinds of different ways to innovate, but mostly what physicians do is they are looking at product performance. So uh, let's say you de develop, uh, let's, I don't know, example would be like the gamma knife in surgery. So they, somebody said, oh, you know, a better scalpel is needed and let's do it this way. Now, the problem with that is that you're not the only person making that observation, right? There's a lot of other physicians going, oh, I need a better scalpel. And a number of them can come up with that idea. And that's really the easiest step in innovation to copy is that product piece. And it's often just a race to parity. Let's say you have a that's a lucrative piece in, in your surgical uh, armamentarium and 300 other people recognize that. It's just a race, right? So you don't make a lot of money off it and it's sometimes hard to bring it to market because the barrier to market is low. Now, if you can combine this with a whole system, which we sort of have at Myo One, we have not just the device, we have an app, we have uh, you know, the, the um, scientific rigor to, to go through and, and see where that product fits in the algorithm of treatment, then you really start to talk about innovation, not just invention. So I think your question was, uh, do you need the, the surgeon or the physician, the, the knowledge opinion leader? You do need them. And even if you're a, a non-surgeon, if you have a surgical or medical device, you're going to have to recruit knowledge opinion leaders of some type or the so-called KOLs in order to make sure that you have the right device, right? Now, does your KOL necessarily uh, invent something to bring it to market, like I said, sometimes it's hard. That's just race to parity in a lucrative market sometimes. And the, and the KOL might not recognize that you need an entire process in order to succeed. 
So do you need them? Yes, you do need them. I'm, I might be biased because I am one. I obviously a KOL of some type, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we, we even even we recruit other KOLs, right? We want input from other people and, and, and is this a good idea or a bad idea? And we test like that all the time. So I think, yes, other physicians do need to be involved in order to make sure that you have a device or product line that comes and meets a need. Uh, but is it necessary that the surgeon is that person leading? Not necessarily. Yeah. Uh, what advice would you give to other doctors um, creating a company and maybe how to deal also with uh, failures, also with success, but maybe sometimes um, it's, you know, there something wrong could happen um, and how to deal with that. Right. So sort of uh, what would what what's the best way to set up your career to succeed, I guess, is the question. But I mean, you got to realize you're going to fail. You know, I have multiple patents. I tried multiple times to go down the innovation pathway. Uh, about 10 years ago, I got I've, I've, I've said I would never do that again after coming through a bad experience in a corporate corporate uh, situation. Um, but uh, I think the thing that you have to realize you have to be involved. And we talked about that before, but I mean, all the other patents I have, um, like dozens of patents at this point, uh, you think that, oh, you, you know, I'm gonna hand it off to the equivalent of the Office of Technology Transfer for your university, and they're gonna make sure it's marketed. And they often are so overwhelmed and busy, they can't do it. So if you really want your idea to succeed, you need to be hands-on in some way. You need to figure out and what team you want. And the team is the most important thing you can do. And all the uh, valleys of death for scientific research going through to commercialization, the biggest one that I see repeatedly fail is the team. If you pick the team wrong, then you're not going anywhere, but you do need a team. You know, it's very hard to do this on your own. So uh, what can I say was the, the biggest path to success is appropriate team selection. Everyone has an idea. Like every day a surgeon or a physician has an idea of how to make their practice better. Um, it's hard to recognize whether it'd be a lucrative thing to choose and to, to pursue. I mean, our university now has uh, innovation uh, kind of hubs where you can uh, go and find people with business background, engineering background, commercialization background in order to help your idea that didn't exist 20 years ago. And a lot of universities do have it. I think the university is sort of recognizing that they cannot step this up to the next, uh, next level without having a process in place. And uh, that's finally happening. And there's some very successful, you know, uh, kind of networks and hubs that, that have uh, been able to make money. There's some in Europe, the ones in, in, in North America are more uh, familiar with, but there is still few. I think of the thousands of universities in North America, only 13 universities actually make money from their patent process. And so that's a hugely expensive endeavor amongst these thousands of universities not to make any money. So they're, I think they're hoping to make that one big uh, hit, you know, and make money from it. But it's, it's often, it's, you got to realize, even when you do everything right, it might not succeed. And I th think that's people, people in medicine, especially, they're used to like taking tests, passing, getting 90s, their entire undergraduate degree, they do well in medicine, uh, they get out, they do it, they get a, a fellowship and a residency that they, they wanted. So they've succeeded all their life. 
and you tell them, you know, there's a 90% chance you're going to fail doing this or a 99% chance, they don't want to have anything to do with it. So it requires a special type of doctor as well, not just a doctor. Yeah. So I guess the balance of like wanting, really wanting to do it and a great team um, could lead to success and also luck sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes luck, but I think the luck factor is being uh, taken out of it. I mean, I think 20 years ago, there's a lot of luck involved, you know, it just wasn't that information, but now uh, you can find, even if you're not involved with academia, if you're just a person on the outside that says, I can make a better crutch, then there are places in university centers and innovation centers where you can go and uh, still have success doing that networking and, and building a team. And I got to stress again, the team is the most important thing uh, by far. Yeah. Great. Okay. Thank you very much for um sharing your experience uh, with us. And it was a pleasure having you. Um, thank you. Oh, thank you, Marta. It's a pleasure being here. Did you enjoy this podcast? Subscribe to our podcast channel or newsletter to receive the latest insights into tomorrow's healthcare.